podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to AI Scouted. I am not Irish and I am not Dave. How are you doing, Carl? <laughs> I'll intro that way. How are you doing, Carl? He's obviously with me. Uh, I am... Oh, all the puns. Seventh Heaven, Seven Up, all the other memes and things which have been going around today. Fantastic. And that is the obvious place to start. And Tom James asked a question, because this is kind of a question podcast, and we're also going to uh, look at the forward line. On a scale of zero to seven, Carl, how are you <laughs> feeling today? Right at the top end of it. Absolutely. So we might as well start with the game. I, I was on Nina's show, and obviously the lads were on Raw, and you, you missed out, unfortunately. Um, were you at the stadium? No, I was not. Of course you won't, because we won. Um, oh. <laughs> uh, but that's good. I mean, obviously, the floor is yours. I mean, 7-0 against that lot, Carl. I mean, your, your feelings and thoughts after a nice day. <laughs> um, yeah, it was nice to have a unusually stress-free end to the one of those games, because I think sometimes, even if you are, like, you know, 2-0 up, 3-0 up, and into, like, the final 15 against them... There's always that lingering annoyance of, oh, if they get one, the crowd are going to be up, the, the, the tension is going to be there suddenly, could we possibly throw it away? It's completely irrational some of the time, but it's still there against Man United more often than not, I find. So, I think that this was more of a release, let's say, than the 5-0 the, the battering we gave them, for example, whereas I think that that one was the more accomplished overall complete performance. Um I kind of compare this one almost to the Davening Gog two-one victory. Was it two-one or two-nil? I can't remember. Two-nil, I think it was uh, back in the day under under Rafa. In that, it came a kind of a surprise win where we actually played pretty well. It was just as much relief as sort of jubilation um, up to a point, and it's maybe the result that we would hope would get our season back on track. Obviously, we have different aspirations now compared to that time, but it just reminded me of that. Um, overall, I mean, there's not really much you can, you can say which isn't completely obvious. It's great to beat Man United, and even more so when you absolutely humiliate them. Um, I thought some of their players were absolutely disgraceful in the second half. Uh, I, I would personally, had, had I been on that opposition bench, would have subbed several of them immediately and I would be telling a couple of others they won't be playing for the next two weeks because it was just utterly, utterly unacceptable. Um, long may that continue is all I can say. Uh, I, I'm half tempted, half tempted to suggest we're going to finish ahead of United this season, um, which is going to be based on them still having European and uh, domestic cup focuses, let's say. Uh, I think eventually that will 
cost them one or two results in the league, and we're not that far off, to be honest. Obviously, we have a, an important run coming up fairly soon um, with two difficult games and one or two which look difficult, but actually I don't think they're going to be as difficult as, as you'd think. And I do think that the, the amount of points that we could get from that will look right now to be tricky, but actually I don't think the matches will play out as difficult as they seem like they might be, apart from the Man City one, obviously, that's that's the outlier there. Um, but I think just getting the scale and scope of that victory out of the way and on the board as such to, to sort of propel us into the last third of the season, it could be massive. Like, it's got to be something which is a reference point for the players from now on. You know, you can't come out and have the the Brighton or Wolves level of energy and intent when you have already shown that you can do the Man United game. Like that's just not allowed anymore. There's no excuse for us to see that Wolves level of disinterest ever again, let alone for the rest of this season. Like it's just not 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 acceptable in the slightest. So hopefully we use that as a as a springboard. I don't really want to get carried away and start wondering about the Real Madrid match and all the rest of it. I don't really think that that's helpful. But the top four is ours to get, because Spurs are rubbish. I've been telling everybody this for months, to be perfectly honest. We're already ahead of Newcastle. Brighton and Fulham are doing very well, but you would expect over the course of a third of the season, Liverpool get more points than both of them, and we still have to play Spurs. So it's very, very much in our hands again now, and I very much hope that not just the, the technical level and obviously not the level of clinical finishing that we had, but the performance, the energy, the determination, the work rate off the ball, all of those things have to be repeated every single game now. Yeah, I think today you worded it best <clears throat> on um, Nina's show yesterday. If we, do, if we do this and then draw with, draw or lose to Bournemouth, it feel, doesn't feel hollow, but it, was wor- it wasn't worth what it was. So, yeah, we need to carry it on. We need to improve our away form massively as well. Um, before we get on to today's topic, I mean, do you want a quick look at the top four? Because as you said, that is the that is the thing that matters now, really. I mean, unless a Real Madrid miracle happens, but the top four is what's happening. I mean, you, you've called Spurs crap on multiple podcasts, and I'd agree with you. Like, there's certain players that are really good, obviously, but they've been playing Eric Dyer and Ben Davies at centre-back all season, and now Fraser Forster's behind them. So they should not be getting top four, and it's a miracle that they are in top four. It's a nonsense that they're in top four. It, that's that's the only way to put it. Like you know, they've lost more games than us. We've lost seven times this year, and we have been terrible for a large portion of this season. And they've lost two more matches than we have. Um, you know, we've drawn loads. We we drew some very very rubbish and stupid games earlier in the season. Even if you're not looking at the very worst of our performances, um, and we we can still go level with them and ahead of them on goal difference if we win our game in hand. That's that's where Spurs are, you know, in our worst season. And they are supposed to be in a pretty good season after a big expenditure, adding a couple of important players. They're nowhere. They're nowhere at all, Spurs. It's not even, to be honest, for me, the individual players. I know that some of them are not, let's say, expected calibre of the Champions League side, but it's more the way they play, the way they set up. They are a very, very dull side. They're a very predictable side. They are a very reactive side. I just don't find them particularly good for the for the modern game whatsoever. And uh, I think they're poorly set up. I don't think the mentality of the team is particularly good. And I would quite handily expect Liverpool to batter them, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, it's so strange. I thought Conte would probably get the best out of that 
that club, but I think he's obviously made some huge errors. But as a club, I think that is just a complete failure of just everything, really, because they've just not really taken advantage of the fact they've got Conte there. And I don't think Conte, obviously, ideally would want to be at Spurs, but you kind of... I think it was a miracle they got top four last season, and then obviously they bought a few players. Um, but the, I don't know, they just didn't seem to back him or take that extra step that they should have. And maybe that would have inspired him to be a bit more arsed. But as a club, I'd, maybe they need the nostalgia of a Pochettino back. But I, if Conte can't win them something, I'm not sure who bloody can. No, I mean, that's still a rebuild job, which is ongoing there, to be perfectly honest. Um, I think Conte is well underperformed there. I, I agree with what you've said that They've not done enough to make the most of having him, but I still think that he's wildly underperformed at times mm-hmm. of the season and, and in general, to be honest. So uh, I do expect Liverpool to catch them up. Um, it's on us if we don't, basically. There's no there's no excuses here. It's not about injuries. It's not about anything else. It's just about Liverpool underperforming if we don't catch Spurs because they're, they're not a good side. We haven't got all of our players back to full sharpness, let's say, to peak fitness, and we're still mm-hmm. you know gaining ground on them. We've gained... Well, we've gone from 11 points off fourth to three points off fourth in the mm-hmm. last five league games. And it's not all ground made up on Tottenham, obviously. It was Newcastle at the time. But even so, we've taken what, a point more than Spurs across the last six. We've still got the game in hand to play. We will catch them. Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well... Over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to AnfieldIndex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. Do you want to talk about Newcastle? Because they seem to just be falling like a stone, basically. I mean, it's a million draws in a row before the two losses to us and Man City. Um They've forgotten how to score, and it's almost like Almiron wasn't the best player in the world. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's um, probably not even playing poorly now. He's just regressed, obviously, in terms of the, the, the scoring mm-hmm. chances that he's seeing come his way. I mean, Newcastle still have the best defence in the Premier League, and that's definitely worth <clears throat> excuse me, definitely something worth pointing out. Because, like you say, even the, the draws that they had there, it was a 1-1, it was a 1-1, it was a 0-0, uh, and then we put two past them. I think that was the first time they conceded two in a game since we scored two against them, I can't remember. Mm-hmm. I think it's only us and City you've put two past yeah. them, I believe. Yeah, so I mean, their form since returning from uh, the World Cup has, has not been good, to be perfectly honest. A lot of that is down to um, a lack of, of attacking consistency. The only goal, sorry, the only games that they've scored twice in a match in have both been in the League Cup. And Premier League terms, obviously, they've, they, like you say, they've fallen off a cliff. It's one win in eight, I think, for them now. And when you're losing games, not just to Liverpool and Man City, but dropping points to other teams who are well, well, well below where you are, like Crystal Palace, lower half of the bottom half of the table, 
Bournemouth relegation chasing, uh, fighting, sorry, West Ham relegation fighting, Leeds relegation fighting. They drop points to all of these clubs. They're not good results. And like you say, the, the goal scoring has just gone completely AWOL. And without anyhow fixing that, it's a really, really big opportunity for them missed to take three steps forward instead of the one that still finishing top eight will be. Yeah, I think if they get one of the Europa competitions, it's still a very good season for them, obviously. Yeah. Um, I'll group these three together because I don't think they may be Champions League team, but I definitely think they're in fight for a Europa spot. And that's Fulham, Brighton and Brentford. Um, two, they play each other tonight, um, which could be a big game in that regard. But do you see any of these maybe going on a massive run? Obviously, Ball, uh, Bournemouth and um, Brentford are obviously very hard to beat. Drew the last two, which was Palace and um, Arsenal. I mean, the Arsenal results obviously very good. Um, Brighton, probably one of the best midfield in the league. Um, the attack is just kind of week to week, but it's been more good than bad this season, which has probably been the key. The defence is really good as well, I'd say. And Fulham, they just seem to have, I don't know, they just, after all the seasons of basically chaos, they found the perfect guy in Marco Silva and then basically rein themselves in in terms of the transfers, buying smart people like Joe Polina, etc. Do, do you think any of them are a threat to top four? Do you think just Europa's probably their ceiling? Oh, yeah, definitely the ceiling. I think Brighton are the only one of that trio who I would say could play well enough against other teams to consistently get results to get towards the top four, but I don't think that they will. Um, mm. Brentford and Fulham... They're having great seasons, but we have to acknowledge that they are beneficiaries of West Ham. <clears throat> Excuse me, West Ham being absolutely terrible all year, who should be in and around those positions, and Chelsea being whatever on earth Chelsea are at this moment in time. You know, they would not normally be tenth; they would be on the same points as Villa. That's what they are. <laughs> yeah, even in a bad season, you would say Chelsea would still be, let's say, sixth. Um, it's it's. A really, really weird and stupid season in many, many respects. And that's what I mean. Like for Newcastle, for example, it's a really, really big opportunity for them because you're not necessarily going to have this wide open a fight for fourth next season, If they, even if they do get a bit better again themselves. Because Liverpool might be loads better next year. Chelsea might be a lot better. Tottenham might get a manager who actually gives a shit. You know, it's, it's, there's too many variables to, I think, pass up these opportunities. And I think that the, if Fulham or Brighton or Brentford do go on and get a Europa League, finished, that's like amazing for them, for starters. That's a cracking season for any of those clubs and a mad experience next season as well for all of them as well. But I would say that that is absolutely the ceiling just because you would expect in a run of 10 more matches, 12 more matches, well, Liverpool have got 13. I think Brighton have got a couple more than us even. So I don't think that they'll have the consistency and the squad depth to get enough of those points. Like even when they do play really, really well and pick up a good result, you're still getting the ones like like they lost to Fulham. That's one of those really important games around them. They drew at Leicester, who are terrible. Like it's was it's, that the game they had like three XG and still didn't score. I know the re- I think <laughs> the referee screwed them over. If I remember correctly, but yeah, the yeah, didn't put the chance there. Two two that one, but yeah, it's it's just the, just those games which you just lack a little bit of quality because you know you're still playing like Danny Welbeck up front at times and all that kind of stuff. Like they have a great side, really really fun to watch. The system that they've put in place already, really really quickly is probably one which will benefit them a lot next season as well if they make one or two good smart signings. Mm-hmm. But for what they've got right now, I think fourth is like at least one step too far, if not maybe even two. 
Imagine all the FM Wonder Kids would sign if they did get Champions League, though. <laughs> and filter Argentina release clause minus five mil. <laughs> uh, everyone would be signed. Um, do you want to talk about United? Obviously, we started with with the mega result over them, and you hinted that it wouldn't be a surprise if we caught them up and overtook them. But well, we we've experienced bad results in the time. Not obviously in recent years. We we've had the Stoke one, but that was right at the end of the season. Obviously, it did. We were just kind of crap then, so it did carry in at next season. But we've never really experienced that against our biggest rival. No, I think the, only the one psychological one... effects of this. Oh, undoubtedly a bit. I think the only one I can remember was when Sammy got sent off really early on. Um, I can't remember if that was was that five nil in the end that match. But again, that was you know it was away. It was a circumstance of being the whole game with ten men. Um, uh, look, me and Dave, we spoke about this in Scouted. I don't think Man United are as good as. They or people talking about them seem to think that they are. United are beneficiaries of two things. One, being much better than they were compared to the PE teacher being in charge. Like there's no question that they're so much better now. Better organized, more resilient, got a couple more quality players. They have a structure in build up play. And also on the other side of it, they are beneficiaries of the Premier League as a whole being worse this season. Like there's no debate about that to be had. Arsenal are top and they haven't won six matches this season. If Liverpool in most seasons had not won six, we wouldn't have been competing with Man City. That's, and, and we've still got a third of the season to go here. So this, the league as a whole is squashed together a little bit more. Man United being better propels them up that and overhauls the ones that we've spoken about already. Liverpool being bad, Spurs being atrocious, Chelsea being an abomination. They are making the most of that in the way that Newcastle right now are not, for example. So that's, you know, really good. That's progress for Man United. And that's what they needed, a season of getting back to being on the, the, the upward trajectory, let's say, from their perspective, not from Liverpool's. For us, for our perspective, it's great that we battered them, took them down a peg or two. But the reality remains that they're not that good. In terms of current day European footballing superpowers, Man United are not that good right now. And we've seen not just with the Liverpool, but the Liverpool one's obviously an outlier for many reasons. The size of the scoreline and the rivalry, like you say. But they are still a team in transition, let's say. You know, we've, we've heard a lot about you know, Casemiro has improved the, the team's mentality and he's a leader and all the rest of it. And that's that's absolutely true and correct. But that team is still made up of a load of the shithouses they had over the last two years who crumble, who lose their heads completely, who do not have the innate must-win-every-single-match that Casemiro, for example, does have, that Varane does have. Those players... Mm-hmm. Varane, actually, I thought... I was quite surprised, but he actually was one of the ones who definitely was AWOL, let's say, yesterday. I don't think Casemiro was particularly. We just bypassed him very, very easily. I don't think Varane's head went... He was obviously dreadful, but I don't think he, his head yeah. went like... Like Lisa Jordan, Jordan Bruno. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly that, and... That is the bigger thing here. When you're talking about cohesion and structure and trying to defend against a team who have all the ball and all the momentum and everything like that, what you need is organisation and you need composure and you need partnerships to be working in tandem with each other. Well, United down the left flank in the second half had Shaw, Martinez and Fernandez. There's a good case to be made that they were the three worst culprits in terms of United yeah. losing all uh, shape and well, everything, to be perfectly honest. Like I say, I think he was an absolute disgrace to be wearing that captain's armband and do the, some of the things he did. 
walking away from the tackle from Bazitich that he tried to put in when he was just trying to foul him and then just oh. let him run away. I'd have hooked him. Oh, that was I'd have hooked him immediately and not be playing for the mm-hmm. next game. Minimum one game. Um, but like I say, that's that's still the team core is still made up of quite a few mentalities like that. I think it's going to take Ten Hag a little longer to, to change the, the whole group mentality. Obviously, it is good when things are going well, but when there's more... Uh, obstacles to overcome when you come up against a bit more adversity. They still have too many players who are happy to just either throw in the towel or have a massive tantrum, basically. I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> this is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, magboxes and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. Before we move on to our topic of our forward line, what what do you make of Anthony? Anthony, I should say, he's not for, he's not from the north. Uh, Anthony, um, no. he just he's obviously talented, but he's as one footed as Antonio Valencia. He's very much unasked, and I'm sure if I, anyone watched Match of the Day too, they, they saw the well highlighted laziness of him. Whether it was tactical or not, I, I don't think it can be tactical. If, in, Eight, uh, seven nil, and he's not still not tracking back by that time. But he, he just looks lazy, and I, d- I don't really see it. I think, I, I'm not sure who he reminds me of, but he he's obviously good at football. But he almost seems like one of them lads who's the best at five aside, and then you put him at eleven aside, and he's just not that good. <laughs> um, yeah, I know what you mean. I. I'm not a fan, right? I'm not a fan of Anthony, and that's got nothing to do with him playing for Man United. I'm not a fan of Anthony because I like my inside forwards, let's say, the players who play wide in a front three or a front four, however you want to line them up. I like them to be, one, very, very aggressive, and two, regular shooting players. Mm. He does take a lot of shots, but they're all the same, and they're all largely pointless. They are Robin on FIFA. <laughs> yeah, basically that. I mean, we we allowed him to get in two or three of them, and I thought, you know, first half we were quite poor at defending that because those types of shots are can be dangerous. Obviously, if you catch them perfectly in the fly in the top corner, you can't do anything about the shot. You have to stop the shot. And I think Henderson Robertson didn't do a great job of that first half. But also, they're the kind of shots where on running forwards can get just a little glance and knock it past the keeper anyway, yeah. sort of thing. So you should do better at them. But by and large, I don't think he does huge amounts in the build-up play. I think you know some of the time when he's a very, very technically gifted player, but as soon as you rattle him, he doesn't do anything. And I mean, he doesn't do anything. He'll stand up fast and shout, mm. and that's about it. 
and he loses his head very, very easily. I think he's a kind of a typical player of who, if you're in a very good team who is performing well, he probably makes a bit of a difference in tight games for you. And United haven't really been in that kind of uh, groove for too long this season. But if you are up against it, let's say, or you are in a tough game, or you are up against a team who has particularly good that side of the pitch, I don't think he gives you anywhere near enough, and certainly not for the amount they paid him. No, what was it? 100 million euro, 90 million euro? I I know Sancho's had his issues and hasn't really performed, and this season he's obviously seen me, I'd guess, a mental health break, but it wasn't really specified that. But you invested that much in him, you had Rashford for the left. The plan was seemingly get Darwin in the summer, which obviously didn't work out when it helped us, but it just seems like such an odd signing, and it just seems like, oh, he was at Ajax with me, and I mean, to be fair, Martinez has worked out. I think he is overrated, but that one worked out. But Anthony, I just don't see how they're ever going to get value for money unless he actually implodes, uh, explodes, I should say. Um, but yeah, it just seemed like a really strange signing. Um, and I do not see it with him at all unless there's a pure explosion. But um, anyway, one of the stories, Carl, coming out from yesterday's magnificent game was our, was our forward line, each of them getting two goals and obviously Bobby getting the... The lovely goal as well. So we were going to talk about the forward line. Which one would you like to start with? I think we should start with the record setter. Mo Salah. I mean, what is he now? Is he 31? 30 still. I believe. 30. He's still young. Obviously, he signed the new deal. I can't remember how long it is till, but that bloke has never eaten a carb in his life, so he can play till he's 45. Um, I... I feel like the only issue with Moore is that he is still the only option there, and it's not an issue, it's just the fact we can't really rotate him, because I think at times this season he has looked tired, and obviously after AFCON, he looked tired. Um, Elliot can play there, but he's a very different player to Moore. Mm. Maybe we get, or maybe it is Cade, someone like Cade Gordon, who's obviously still very young and missed all of this season, and a lot of last season obviously, but is that the only issue with Moore, because he's what? 20-odd goals, or 30-odd goals this season, I think, goals and assists this season, but he's obviously still the starting right wing and is for the next, well, for the remainder of his contract, but what's your thoughts on him? Um, I mean, there's no denying that he had a, a down spell, let's say, but how much of that was down to him and confidence levels and all that, and how much was down to the team being dreadful and giving him no service and us not having a good midfield and no consistent build-up play... It's really hard to judge. I think as long as he keeps having these patches where he, even if he's not like playing at the very highest level, he still scores goals in like quite good groups. And then once in a while you have these kind of matches where everything he touches turns into a goal of the month competition. Then you know there's no real problem there, is it? Like you say, the the lack of cover for him is a bit of an issue. But I also don't really see how you do anything about that other than just ask people to fill in on that flank once in a while like we have mm. probably got now three I would say if you exclude Oxlade Chamberlain because he's out of contract I think we've got three players in the squad right now who you could put over there and be confident that they would put in a seven out of ten performance it might not be a match winning one like Salah but if the other players are also playing well that's probably why you feel confident about resting Mo once in a while a little bit more now and you 
can get away with a 7 out of 10 in, in his replacement. Obviously, one of those is Jota, who's played there before. Luis Diaz, there's no problem with him really being on the right-hand side as a winger. Again, mm. he's played there for us, and Javier, like you mentioned. So we have the options to do so. I would like to think that if Klopp is, you know, very serious about what he knows about rebuilding the team and he's, you know, he's all in for it and all the rest of it, that he's going to listen to a couple of people who have spoken about it now, like Van Dyke. You know, he played so much football uh, after injury and he is getting a bit older now, obviously. So he needs a little bit more rest. Salah is going to be the same. Maybe not quite as much as Van Dyke because he hasn't had that big injury, but you know, starting next season, he's 31. Maybe one game out of five, maybe he starts on the bench. Something like that, just just as a random example, you know. It's got to be a little bit more of a break and less reliance on Salah than we have had, but maybe we have now started to see how that can happen as well because it's it's quite important that it's not just about replacing Salah but keeping the, the vibrancy and the fluidity and the combination plays of the attack as a whole unit going. And now we've started to see Gakpo and Darwin Nunez in the last few games have linked up quite well together. Um, Darwin, uh, sorry, Cody and Diaz haven't had a chance yet because he's been out injured. So once we do have a little bit more availability, let's say, then maybe we can start trying out a few different things with Salah not so much involved, or even if it's Salah playing as the number nine once in a while instead of every game having to sort of do the tracking back at right back, which he's been doing really well, I have to say, this, this side of uh, the World Cup. Um, he's still great. And he can still be the Premier League's top couple of goal scorers, let's say. How long does that last for? I don't know, but it doesn't really matter too much as long as the entire attack, like I say, is is functioning very well as a unit. Yeah, I, was, I had a quick Google, and this is how my football knowledge works. I had a quick Google of um, FM23 right-winger prospects just to get a list of people. And there's not loads that jump out the screen. Obviously, I don't know, like, 12-year-olds from the Middle East and stuff like that. But, I mean, outside of Ryan Cherky, Cherky, that is literally the only name I recognise who isn't, like, already at a club. So maybe it is just is find a left winger, which we have a million of, and just use him sparingly. And then hopefully, hopefully Elliot can get more familiar with that role if he's not to become a midfield. But as I mentioned, Cade Gordon's, for that role, obviously Ben Doak could probably play that role. I don't know which side he prefers. Obviously, he's only 12, so he could play either side yeah. and be happy with it. Um, so, yeah, I think we have options there. But if we were to look, he'd probably try and find a right winger who is 20-odd-year-old and played a bit in, in Europe or wherever. Um, or maybe just pluck someone out of Brazil or Argentina or something and see what happens. Um, but yeah, I think the ideal thing we would find is someone who can play right wing and right back. That would be great. That'd be that's a unicorn of a player, yeah. uh, Danny Alves. Well, not not Danny Alves. Um, someone, <laughs> someone, Danny Alves when he was at Sevilla would probably be fun. Um, but yeah, it it it's well, Bakayo Saka just don't sign a deal and come to Liverpool. That's basically the crack it. Um, but hey-ho, shall we move on to Bobby? Because we might as well start with the originals, I suppose. Obviously, he's leaving in leaving in the summer, unless there's a big U-turn. Um, got his goal yesterday, which was fantastic. Um, he has scored this season, but when Dave speaks about him, I do agree. When you watch him, it's just it just ain't the same person. 
it's not the same player, and that is understandable because a lot of miles on the clock, as we as we mentioned with Van Dyke and and more, um, and he just doesn't seem to do Bobby things. He doesn't seem capable of the same magic. But yeah, it, it, I think it's the right decision he's leaving, but it's a very sad decision as well. Obviously. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I'm still going to try and convince him to stay, even if he doesn't listen to me, even if he doesn't know who the hell I am. I'll, I'll, I'll just have to make a last-ditch attempt to make him stay another year just because otherwise I'll feel bad. Um, he's probably been my favourite player of this era, to be perfectly honest. And like, like you say, it's a little bit sad sometimes to see what he was capable of before and now he's not quite, because, I mean, he's not exactly like a... Not like it's watching James Milner plough about the pitch at 38 years of age or something like that with Firmino. You know, he's, he is still only 31. So, you know. Oh, he's still, he's still got a good move in him. Yeah. yeah absolutely. But it's not as relentless anymore. It's not as consistent anymore. And he's picked up a lot more injuries over the last, let's say, 18 months, probably even two years now compared to that first, let's say, four years or whatever it was. Um, but, you know, he's leaving with basically over 350 games, over 100 goals. Not that far off 100 assists as well, for the club, to be perfectly honest. And and so many mm. massive moments and memories. Least of all, scoring the uh, Club World Cup goal as well, um, which is a pretty big one in its own right. I will be sad to see him leave, even if he doesn't do anything between now and the end of the season, but I would be very, very, very surprised if he doesn't have one big moment left before he goes. Definitely against Arsenal. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, while, whilst we're on him, where, where do you see him moving? I mean, he obviously, I think Inter came out and were linked, but his agent came out and said they don't really want to talk about a move till his contract's up out of respect for the club and Klopp, obviously, but... He does seem like a Serie A player. Obviously, he's had the Bundesliga experience, and yeah. he's probably Bayern's probably beyond him now. Dortmund obviously only signed toddlers, um, but I, I think Serie A would be a good move if one of the Milan clubs or or even Juve they love a free transfer. Obviously, yeah, I, I think anywhere in Italy he could he could go and do a good job. To be honest, outside of Napoli because they have a much more dynamic front line. Um, mm-hmm. Outside of the big five leagues, you're probably just looking at Turkey because it's you know, it can be fairly competitive in terms of the salaries they offer and all the rest of it. But he was linked to the Middle East, wasn't he, as well in January? Yeah, I hope he doesn't go there. I feel like he has. Yeah, I think he has a move. Then that could be a move for him yeah, yeah. before yeah, maybe yeah, going or, to Brazil or something, yeah, or MLS or something like that um, for, for like maybe another two years down the line at least. But I think Italy might be the best suited for him. I don't think he'd be. You know, bad or anything like that. If he went to Spain, but I don't really see any clubs which are sort of in that middle ground. Atletico. No, but I don't think he would be quite good enough for Atletico now. That's the thing. In terms yeah. of what Sevilla, if they're rebuilding, maybe. Yeah, I mean, he'd be good for Sevilla, but I just don't think Sevilla are very good for him now. Is what I mean. There's no, there's too many clubs who are in that spot of still good enough for, for a player who's Champions League calibre but not right at the very top end of the league or, or whatever so it might be that Italy is the best bet because a couple of those teams are a little bit closer to Barcelona and Real Madrid but not quite at that level as well in terms of their attack Yeah, I'm going to put money him and Coutinho end up at the same club I'm going to put money on him <laughs> and Origi playing up front again Oh yes so he's going to... No, he doesn't play for Milan, does he? Well, they're going to train together. Yeah. Which is more accurately what they did. <laughs> be, on the, well. <laughs> be on the same team in, um, 
in training. But no, I, I like that. I do, I do like Serie A is probably my favourite league outside of um, the Premier League, and I do need to watch more of it. And Bobby's probably the jumping point to watch more of it because he's he's such a lovely bloke. Um, where next? I mean, should we should we go with Darwin because? We obviously signed him thinking maybe he was going to be the tactical evolution of us going back to a, a regular nine. And that's obviously happened a little bit this season, but I think our best spells have came with him as the left winger. Obviously, whilst Diaz has been injured and it's been one of Gakpo and Jota now that he's back from injury and obviously Bobby had a spell as well as, as, as the nine. Is that... The long term for Darwin now, or, or do you feel like once we get more into a settled team, he he will go back to being the nine and we'll try and tweak the off ball stuff? But Gakpo's obviously starting to shine as the as the uh, as the nine as well. So what what do you make of Darwin? And then we'll move on to Gakpo. Excuse me. I don't know to be honest. I, I assumed that Darwin, like you, was going to be the number nine, and I think that he's had some games where he's really really good there. But sometimes we're seeing more effectiveness from him in terms of chance creation and helping the team move up the field and all that, playing from the left. I don't know, again, whether that is a sort of a function and a knock-on of how bad Liverpool have been this season, because a lot of the time we've needed him to have that sort of steam train run right down the left wing to drag us like 50 yards upfield, because we've just been so incompetent in midfield at stopping them playing through us or keeping hold of the ball ourselves and gradually moving upfield that he's been a really necessary outlet. So... If, when players are back and when we sort of discover how we want to be in midfield again and all that kind of thing, if then we're dominating matches a little bit more, is it then more beneficial for Darwin to be left or should we have him as that presence in the middle? I don't think it's that much of an issue, to be honest, because first of all, you need movement and part of that good movement is, whether it's Salah or Darwin or whoever it is going from the from the flank, from the channel into that central area and whoever's playing centre forward has to drop a bit deeper and move out to the channels and all the rest of it. So that's really good for us to have. And I have actually got no problem if we don't, in terms of like when, when Klopp's naming the team, we don't really have who's nine and who's left. It's just those two players are playing those two roles, sort it out between yourselves at each moment and make sure that defensively we're covered when when transitions happen. Um, I have no absolute overall preference and I think that it's likely to swap over in-game anyway and that includes when Diaz is back because he's another one who has played centre-forward. Yeah. He's played from the left and then gone centre-forward. So I think it's quite it's quite good to have that massive rotation and regular option to change things around and even the opener against United. You know, Gakpo's playing through the middle but the goal comes from when he goes left. So yeah. as long as that keeps happening, as long as we're not predictable, as long as we... Don't make it so that one player has to always play in one position, even if it's not quite getting the best out of him or for the team. Then I don't really see the issue anyway. No, I'd, I'd, I'd agree with you. I think the the fluidity, the fluidity's always been there. We always saw Mo popping up in the centre. We saw Mane popping up in the centre, and Bobby almost forming somewhat of a diamond. And it wouldn't surprise me if stuff like that happens again. And as you meant, as you say, Gakpo's comfortable from the left, so he can he, they can always rotate out there and. If if it's Gakpo and Jota as the centre lads, um, Jota are obviously comfortable all all three um, positions. Um, so no, I, I don't think it's an issue as well. It just it just might be strange, but I don't think it's an issue. Darwin does all his defensive work. We've seen that. It was a bit odd yesterday. He just didn't seem right for part of the game. But 
we, we've seen in previous games. He, he'll, he'll run the 50 yards chasing back fullbacks and stuff like that. So I don't see that as an issue. Um, let's go with Gakpo. Obviously, starting to come into his own, um, in this, in this nine position. Um, excellent yesterday. Seems to, as soon as he gets a goal, he seems to transform into this godlike player. Um, it's, it's a strange one because if I remember correctly, you and Dave weren't overly keen on us signing him. I mean, has he, has he quickly changed your opinion or is there still a little question mark from you there? Obviously, it's just weird talking about after an excellent performance yesterday, but as a, as a general opinion? Well, I mean, I think the important thing here is that we weren't against signing Gakpo. We were against signing Gakpo over a midfielder. That was, that yes, was the, you know, the relevant point, really. It's not that we didn't want to sign him. I have no problem with signing good players in general. I don't think that Gakpo is at the level of, let's say, Mane when he left or, you know, how the front three as a whole have been over the last few years. So that, that's, I haven't changed my mind on that because he's not playing any differently now to how he was three months ago before we signed him. So I'm still there. I'm still fine with him being in the side. I think we've had an over-reliance on him straight away, to be honest, because, like I said, I don't think that he is quite at that level yet where you want him to be your starting go-to, has-to-score-nearly-every-game kind of player. And also, it was made a lot more difficult for him by the fact he came into a side playing absolutely crap, like some of the most diabolical football in a decade. So that didn't help for his transition. But that said, maybe... Sometimes the making of a good player can just be getting thrown into tough situations and you get your chance and you've just got to tough it out. And although he's had some anonymous performances, I think that actually some of the time when Liverpool have been rubbish, he's actually been one of our brighter link players. He's quite intelligent at dropping yeah. into gaps. He is probably the one out of all the attackers we've had over the last few weeks who makes us play a bit better in terms of our combinations, in terms of the forwards actually linking up, let's say. When he didn't play the other night, I didn't think that Liverpool's front three actually made any attacking moves between them once for most of the match. Maybe I'm forgetting one, but I don't think that there was anything at all. When Gakpo plays, you see him linking with Salah or you see him linking with Darwin. And you know, it's not anything against those players or against Jota who came into the side, but that's just not their game. They are the ones who get on the end of runs or who carry the ball 40 yards or who look to get in the box on the end of crosses and stuff like that. He is the one who links play. So I do think it's important for us and the way that we line up to have someone like Gakpo who's going to be a little bit more about the build-up, who's going to come a little bit more to feet and be able to spin. He's very, very good at turning defenders and then getting really, really quick acceleration into a bit of space beyond them. It's not actually sprinting speed, I wouldn't say. He's just very quick to move his feet into those gaps and get his body in the way of the ball sort of thing. So he's a very useful player for us. I guess it's to be expected that he'll get better, one, by... The longer he's with us and familiarity and all that, and two, because we have good coaches and he's still a young player. Whether he gets to the level that the first three, let's say, were at, I'm not sure yet. I think maybe Darwin's got a better chance of being as impactful as them than Gakpo has, but you don't need everybody to be absolutely world-class elite in the team. You need people to do certain functions. And if they do that, then, you know, if he, if he performs a similar sort of role or a different role, but in a similar sort of effectiveness as Firmino did, it doesn't really matter if he's the best player in the world or not. He still does a great job for a great team. Well, that's the thing, and I'd agree with everything you said there, and I obviously didn't watch a lot of them at PSV, and my reference is probably more so the World Cup, where it was a very stodgy Holland and Netherlands team at times, so it was tough to judge, but no, I do see it with him, and 
I agree. It's, it's tough to judge whether he'll be as good as original Bobby or original Mane or whatever. Um, but he's very much useful. And I think that leads us on to Jota quite well, who, when he first joined, or probably his first two seasons, probably before the injuries really kicked in, he was just simply effective. He wasn't the prettiest on the eye. And hopefully he does get back to that. And he, he obviously scored a lot of goals before his first injury. I think I remember getting a hat-trick in the Champions League, if I remember correctly. Um, so he may, Gakpo may not eventually be a starter, especially if Darwin could adapt as the nine and Diaz obviously recovers well from his injury. But I think Gakpo is a really excellent purchase at 37 mil. But Jota is a strange one because I think people, obviously with the ownership stuff, and we don't want to get into that, we obviously need to make money somewhere. And some people, bro, I've, I've, I've considered it as well. I'm not, I wouldn't actively sell Jota because I think that'd be dumb. But say, say Real Madrid, Barcelona, Bayern Munich, they're the big lads, or PSG came looking and they offered us 45 to 50 million. I would, I'd think about it. That's probably how I'd summarize where Jota is at the minute. I think he's probably, the dispensable one out of the forward line, obviously not counting Bobby because he's off anyway. Yeah, I agree. I've said before, I don't think <clears throat> I don't think there's anything wrong with having players in the squad who play an important role in certain situations, but are not at the same level as the very best. I don't think Jota's at the same level as the very as the very best. I don't think he's as good as Salah or ever will be. Um, he plays an important role for Liverpool at times. He's also suffered injuries at times and been inconsistent at times and. I think there are other players out there who mean Jota and the style of player he is is replaceable, easier than Salah, let's say, easier than Darwin, obviously, for for the style of play and for the amount that we would pay for a Jota replacement, who I who I think are fairly similar in style, stature, uh, reliability, that kind of thing. I think again would be cheaper than a a Salah replacement, a Darwin replacement, or whoever. Mm -hmm. So yes. Well, I think Dave's flew with a few. Say if we sold Jota for forty to fifty mil, and then say got Zaha on a free. I'm not saying do that, but it's just a name that popped in my head. That's a good fifty million to make. I think I don't think a big difference between Zaha and Jota at all. Yeah, I mean, you know, individual names uh, are different things, and I think you know already. I wouldn't sign Zaha even if he was paying us fifty million to sign him. But that—that's not the point here, is it? It's—it's it's the point that he is replaceable. There are players yes. who yeah, yeah, yeah. you could you could bring in to to fill that spot in the squad, and Jota is one of the saleable assets that we have. And you're right, we probably do have to because, as we've said, we haven't got the Marco Gruiches and and Wilsons and all the others that we usually sell for. Anywhere between what, eight and fifteen million to make up an extra thirty, forty, fifty million each summer. We haven't got them anymore. There's only really what, Nat Phillips, Kelleher. Kelleher, yeah. And if you sell Kelleher and Adrian's out of contract as well, you've still got to get another subkeeper anyway. So yeah, I would be prepared to if someone's paying the forty-five region for him. Yes, it's not wild money. There's not that many clubs who can pay it though. Um, but yeah, I, I would because I think it's a a potential area to refresh without spending over the top and then being able to allocate money elsewhere as well. But if there was nobody lined up or if we weren't going to replace him, I absolutely wouldn't, let's be clear. I wouldn't just be <clears throat> pushing Jota out the door or anything like that. You have to have squad depth, as we have just been seeing over the last three months. Yeah, I know Ed Fias in, in, the, in the chat there, if you're both selling Jota in the summer. Not... Not actively selling, but if there was interest and we could get a 
a good replacement for good money, then I, I, I'd definitely consider it. I wouldn't just be like, the plan is Jota's definitely gone. I think that's probably the best. If Jota is looking at the Portuguese national team, for example, and thinking for the Euros, he wants to start and spot because Ronaldo's going to be 700 years old and all the rest of it. This is the summer he needs Still to leave. <laughs> this is the summer he needs to leave because Jao Felix is going to leave Atletico at some point for someone and be a first choice. Uh, Rafael Leao is, is just getting better all the time and presumably won't be ignored for all eternity now that they've changed manager. He needs to be a starting forward somewhere. And that's not going to happen mm-hmm. in Liverpool. Not not in terms of an every single game, at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like a max, what, 25? Well, 20 starts and then make up a lot of sub-appearances. Yeah, I mean, you play 45 games for us, whether the starts or, or yes. sub-appearances, but the amount of 90s that you're going to get in there are, are pretty low. And if I also ask Nakamura in, I have no idea who that is. Do you, do you know who that is? Yes, but no. Okay. We've got Daichi Kamada. Obviously, I know he's a 10. I saw he was linked. Is Obviously, he's a 10 more so, but is he someone we could use as the forward option? on? I think he's on a free as well, isn't he? He is on a free. I think Dortmund are very close to signing him last time. Last time right. I love Kamada. I absolutely love Kamada, but I'm not sure he's the one. I mean, I wouldn't be replacing Jota with him. Would I add him to the Liverpool squad? Yes, potentially. Where would we use him? I think you can use him as an eight if your midfield is very, 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 very good elsewhere or from the left-hand side, for example, but he's not who I'd replace Jota with. Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa, he does Anfield Index. He presents a tad predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL roundtable, they're every week after the Premier League match week so make sure you listen to everything we're doing on epl index and follow us there on twitter at epl index thank you bye bye mm-hmm. no but i'm sure you and dave can once we well there's an international break or not you can look at stuff like this then um so that'll be um, more interesting who have we got left uh diaz i think we've just got left um almost the forgotten man but if we remember, he was probably the only, well, one or two outfield players who was performing this season before his injury. Um, it's a tough one because we don't know how we will come back from his injury. Well, it's two injuries now, isn't it? Um, so we have no idea how he'll come back, whether he'll be the same explosive player. Hopefully, bloody is. Um, but it, it does feel like if he gets back to the level he was, he should just go back to being a left wing. But it's it's tough, because we mentioned the Darwin conundrum, that he's been so good or so effective from the left. It, do do we tinker tactics at all? It's tough, because I think Dave obviously wants to play a four four two so much, but Klopp is married to the four three three seemingly. But we have seen in little bits and bobs we have played a four two three one or a four four one one or whatever. 
term you want to use for it, but it feels like we are married to the 4-3-3, so is it just him and Darwin rotate the left wing for the, for the foreseeable? No, I think the three of them rotate, you know, or the three... Ideally, the, all five rotate with Salah obviously getting a majority on the right, yes. but as I said, I don't have a problem if it's, you know, one game you've got Darwin and Diaz playing together, and the next game is Darwin and Gakpo playing together, that's the idea. You have all of them fit and you keep them all fit and you have massive competition for places, which gets everybody playing better, which gets everybody training harder, which keeps everybody fitter in turn and really trying to make the most of every opportunity they get. That's what we should have. You know, we've had bad luck with injuries to an extent in that Jota obviously got a really bad calf injury, which kept him out long term at the same time as Diaz then had a setback from his long, mm-hmm. already long injury, which has left him out for most of the year. And then Firmino has been getting older and more or less resilient as well. So he picked up another one. So ideally, if we've got those five at the moment, at least four of them are fit at once. And you don't just keep playing the same three and leaving one on the bench all the time. You rotate them. And then you have got the the system where it doesn't matter so much who starts left and who plays through the middle because, you know, if Jota's on the left wing, he's still going to pop up in the middle for a header. Or if Diaz is running down the wing all game long, Darwin's still going to cover for him some of the time. That's that's the idea. I, I don't think that I don't think that we've done it for a while other than a few specific players. But by and large, we don't want to be in a situation where you have a starting left winger and a starting striker. The idea is that we have players who are at the same level, so it doesn't matter which one of them starts. It's just more about how you particularly want to attack this fullback or how good are these centre-backs as a as an aerial pairing or are they going to struggle more with Gakpo dropping off them? That's That's what we should be looking at rather than Diaz has to start the majority of games and Darwin's mm-hmm. not going to have to wait his turn or whatever it is. I'll put it this way, just to be annoying. Champions League tomorrow against not Real Madrid. Right. Uh, in a final, um, I should say. Not Real Madrid, because but they just beat us somehow. Um, who who would you pick? Let's say they're all in similar form. Moore's obviously going to play on the And all right. fit? All um, fit. All well, fit. Diaz is an easy starter for me. I, other than Salah, I think he's our best forward. Assuming, like you said, full fitness regains and no problem with the mobility and all that kind of thing. Darwin probably starts centre forward for me, but Diaz is an absolute lock for my lineup because he is the most yeah. aggressive, relentless, speedy, hard tackling, capable of moments of magic, but does all the very, very basic tactical stuff that you want. So he is always, always in my lineup. When we were talking about Anthony before, Anthony and Luis Diaz are as polar opposite ends of the spectrum <laughs> as I could possibly imagine for the same role yeah. in a team. No, I, I 100% agree. I think it, it's tough because this season's been so shit, but the, just the impact he has made coming in January last last year and just sparking life into a team that was just fairly meh. We weren't really in the title race at that point. I think it was by the time that Chelsea game where I think we drew and it was just like, oh, God, top four it is. But he, he came in to spark life into the basic, I'd say the whole team, to be honest, not just the attacking line. Um, no, he, he's fantastic. If he gets back to his best, I, I'd agree. I, I really want to see a Diaz back to his best, Salah back to it, well, at his yesterday form, um, and Darwin as a nine, but hopefully he develops 
pressing and a bit more link up play. But I think Darwin on a good day, you see up, you see the link up play. We just need more of that. And the pressing's obviously a, a, a more technical question, but that'll only come with time. Um, and Tom James agrees in the chat that it's Diaz 100%. He, he's just a, he's just a monster. But no, I, I think, I think the overall message that you, you've been saying there, Carl, is rotation is key and Moore probably needs it most because he is getting on a little bit in footballer terms. Um, but we do have the options there. I, I did, I, I think I forgot to ask you this when, when we were talking about Bobby. Do you think we need more additions? Obviously, let's say we don't sell Jota. Do you think we need to replace Bobby or can someone like Carvalho just take those? Small minutes because I don't think Bobby's obviously was in the fir- first five of the forwards. It's it's that Carvalho's minutes to get or something like that, or, or do you think we need another experienced head in there? So I'm fine with five senior forwards, and then you have Carvalho, Dark, and uh, uh, yeah, Kate Gordon. Sorry, yeah, as the as the three youngsters vying for minutes and you know let's not forget earlier on in the season and pre-season people like Malcolm and Fraundorf got got a little bit of a chance and there'll be one or two others along the way as well so I'm okay in principle with that but that is then only if we do good work in midfield because if you leave yourself losing Milner and Oxlade-Chamberlain and and Naby Keita and maybe one or two sales happen as well that we still think may do this summer then you're having to bring in three, four, or whatever it is, if you haven't got the right balance and the right numbers in midfield then, then you can't afford to take Harvey Elliott out of the midfield line and make him a forward for some games. If the kids aren't ready or not in a good moment or if injuries happen to the seniors and you're not going to play Carvalho five games in a row, well, it's Elliott, obviously, and Jones who then have to move out of the midfield line into the forward line. So at that point, you're leaving yourself one or two central midfielders short. So have we done enough then? If we don't do very, very smart and diligent work in in midfield this summer one obviously that's problematic in itself because we missed out on that last year as well but we don't want to be leaving ourselves in a situation where we're basically got Klopp saying we don't need another midfielder we've got eight again this summer and it's it's not really eight is it so depending on how we do midfield will influence if I think five is enough in the attack but in principle yeah I don't think we directly need to replace him we should do this. If Dave's away for longer than expected, we should do this on the other position. <laughs> yes. That's probably a good idea. Or Dave can just sub in for me and we do it for the position. Well, you know what Dave is like? Um, he listens to us back and then he just gets to spend the entire show just talking about why we're wrong. Very true. And if he does the midfield one, he will get stuck on Henderson for at least 45 minutes. So uh, if it's me, we'll do the midfield one. If not, I'm not doing four podcasts on, on the midfield. <laughs> um, but is there any? I, I haven't missed anyone ever. I don't think I have. Yeah, we didn't Unless you want to talk about the Gakpo, youngsters, but he's, he's he's new, so we presume we won't sell him anyway. Yes, well, we kind of talked yeah. about him passing. Um, Carvalho, do we throw him in here just for a little chat? Because it's it's hard to talk about him because when he's played, he's not really had a position. He's had a couple nice moments. Obviously, the Newcastle one stands out, but um. He seems kind of positionless, and it's obviously been a horrid season for a young player to try and get minutes in. But the talent's obviously there. Fulham don't produce crap players, seemingly, um, from the academy at least. Um, 
I, it's hard to what to do. I mean, would would you loan him? Would you just try and see if he can settle into one of the wide positions or or as the false nine or something? But he does scream of a loan to me. Yeah, I mean, I said earlier in the season, I don't think he's anywhere near ready for the level that we need to be getting from players, which <clears throat> is fine because of his age and his inexperience, but it's not fine if during that period where we were relying on him and he was in the side and off the bench a lot in that early third of the season. So I wasn't okay with that because... I don't think he's anywhere near ready. So I wouldn't be surprised if he got loaned out for a year, but I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure if that's, if that's the best course of action for him yet, because I think he's not necessarily someone who is as ridiculously self-confident as let's say a Luis Diaz, who has pretty much always been like that. Um, so maybe he needs to be kept around and, and shown the way basically and, and, Nurtured from within the club, let's say, and, and getting some minutes as and when he can, but it's not that big a deal. You know, he's, he's very, very young. He doesn't need to be playing 30 matches a season for Liverpool at this point in time. It's fine to bring him along as and when the situation merits it rather than the situation dictates it. And playing in an, an underperforming Liverpool side earlier this season did not help matters. We can always loan him in January after the yeah. League Cup early rounds and stuff like that and probably get the first FA Cup round in before the um, January window closes as well. So I think there's always a door back for him at Fulham as well, seemingly. I know they've got Andreas Pereira, but say if he gets poached because he keeps improving, it wouldn't surprise me if Carvalho went up back there or something like that. But any, I think any club in the Championship would take him on loan at, at the Frover. Yeah, Frover hat as well, so... No, I don't. I think we'll definitely get money off him at least, but whether he makes it at Liverpool is a tough question because he doesn't really have a position. But we can be patient with him, as you say. Um, I think that is it, Carl. Any anything last to add before um, we finish up? And obviously, plugs as well. If you've got anything you want to share with the people, uh, I have a couple of pieces out from over the weekend. I did a piece on Newcastle, building on what I was saying earlier about uh, maybe a bit of a wasted opportunity if they don't sort a few bits out. There was a piece on Arsenal as well after their late winner. Uh, basically looking at one of the things that they've shown for the title fight is what they're going to need in terms of the non-first 11 or 14 players playing a big role. Uh, obviously a big weekend for them in the title with the last-minute winner and all of that, but all of the goals, all of the good performances came from people who have not been in their starting, let's say, 12 or 14 players for nearly the whole season. So pretty good for, for, the, for that perspective as well. Uh, and on Liverpool, there is a piece on our defence, and there will be a piece on Mohamed Salah. Fantastic. Just an ode to his absolute ripped body. Because every time he takes top off, it's good times. Um, we will be back tomorrow, Carl, around the similar time for the Bournemouth preview, because you're busy for the rest of the week, aren't you? So, early preview. Make my go out on Wednesday or something, rather than two days in a row. But if you fancy listening live over on Discord, if you're a, if you're a pro member... Uh, do pop in about one-ish, and me and Carl should be talking about the Bournemouth game. Um, but thank you, everyone, for listening. A big thank you, everyone, on Discord as well, and lads who ask questions and and um, contribute to the discussions as well. Big thank yous to you two. Um, but we will speak to you again. Goodbye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, 
where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.